Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. On this episode of Tamarindo, we reflect on the concept of white supremacy, where it shows up, and what we can do about it. We talk to journalist and decolonial educator Constanza Eliana Chinea, who helps us define white supremacy and gives us many resources on how we can confront it. What's up? What's up, Tamarindo amigos? We are recording on September 15th, so shout out to... Mexico, who is celebrating El Grito this evening and um, their Independence Day is tomorrow, as well as shout out to Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua, who are all celebrating their independence today, September 15th, when we're recording. So c- congratulations, that's what I was going to say. Felicidades a, a todos from, for their, indep- <laughs> their independence. And, um, and of course, feliz we're entering um, Latinx, Hispanic, Latine, whatever you want to call it, Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so... Yeah. Happy for that. Okay. Well, great. Ana Sheila, what is new with you? ¿Qué pasa contigo? So I went to the gym this morning and I think I just realized body movement for me in the morning makes me feel so much better. And I think I've known that, but it's it's like when I don't get it in, I don't know how, Brenda, if you always do your workouts in the morning, but I just realized whether it's a workout that yesterday I didn't get a workout in, but I got a walk in and I still felt so good. So I still felt the benefits of just like, you know, just moving my body, like getting a little yeah. loose. When I mean, you've been laying for eight hours, it would be very good to just move those little huesitos. So, yeah, good. Yeah. So I noticed that like it's in the morning and I think, you know, there's different phases of our lives where we need different things to feel good in the morning, throughout the day. And it's just about paying attention. And sometimes we won't be able to get that full workout in. Sometimes it's a walk. But just noticing like what are the things that make you feel better throughout the day and making little tweaks and, and it's going to change. So it's really about paying attention to yourself. So it was just a reminder about paying attention to myself, seeing how I feel. And one of the things that I love to say, and I probably said it before, is like to me, you know, maybe I get a workout and maybe I get a walk in. But the but the thing that I try to do every morning that makes the biggest difference in my day is just starting with cariño. So I will repeat that to everyone because we can always be reminded to start with cariño. So that's that's a little like reminder that I had this morning. But um I was at the gym and they had Good Morning America on the screen. And it was really cool because they had Eslabon Armado, for folks that are not familiar with them. They're a Mexican regional band that's blowing up. They have a really popular song called Ella Baila Sola, which I believe they do with Peso Pluma. And I just am loving to, I'm loving to see these kind, this genre take up space on mainstream American television. So very cool to see, it made me very happy. So that's what's up with me. Brenda, ¿qué pasa contigo? Yeah, well, as you, your words always inspire thoughts. So for me, yes. I mean, speaking of like, I hate to admit it, but I have I quit coffee. I'm not drinking coffee in the morning and I am seeing so many benefits. I am sleeping better. I'm kinder to my husband, Jeff. I actually feel more energized because I, I, um, I still do the workouts in the morning and that gives me a lot of energy 
So I hate to admit it, but yeah, dropping coffee has, has worked wonders on me. I maybe have it maybe every other weekend or so as a special treat, but that has been really tremendous benefit for me. And of course I did work out. I do, I work out at 5.30 in the morning if I get it, get it out to my, the gym that I've been going to lately. But I also started taking on one-on-one personal training clients. So shout out to my clients. And so I had a workout this morning before everything today. So yeah, I love getting that movement in, in the morning. I love that. Um, and you, actually, I've noticed that the earlier I can get the workout in too, or the earlier that I, whatever it is, what kind of body movement it is, the earlier, the better. So for me, I'm not on your level, Brenda, but I'm trying to inch up to, to get it in earlier because it does feel better when it's like in the quiet of, of the morning. But I'm, I'm curious like about, you know, so based, how did you determine that it was coffee? Like, how did you try this? Because, you know, we're talking about little tweaks that we can make and seeing how... Well, um- I've mentioned it before on this podcast that I've known that po- that that coffee is a is a trigger for me. It makes me more anxious. It makes me more angry. It makes me more irritable. And Jeff has been telling me this forever. He's like, "Did you have coffee?" Like he just knows. So mm. that's been the biggest uh, reminder is him. And you know, other benefits too. I mean, I think like I um, I also this is I read apparently what happens when you're 40 is that you get thirstier. And drinking coffee also makes me thirstier. So I just wanted to kind of eliminate that. Speaking of, <laughs> it made you thirsty even drinking some water. Yeah. So yeah, so like all of those things, I do feel so much better eliminating the coffee. So that's how I knew is that Jeff was telling me like, calmate, you, you're too crazy with the coffee. So that's how. Yeah, you see you see more chill right now, Brenda. So I'm, no, I'm just kidding, but. <laughs> I mean, I bet you did notice because it's, it's, made, a, it's made a significant difference, significant difference. Love that. All right. Well, I want to dive into some announcements, some housekeeping for our listeners. So first, I want to tell you all, and you've heard it before, but I'm going to tell you again, that I am working with Delcy Sandoval, the host of the Ocupación podcast. We are hosting a phenomenal retreat to Puebla, Mexico. It is going to be February 15th through the 19th of next year. So you have plenty of time to get organized. But I want to encourage you to get connected soon because we will sell out. Our goal is to get 10 rooms in order to lock in the amazing rate that we have. And so a lot of people have applied. The next step is the deposit. We're working very closely individually with each person. So there's still time for you all to complete your application. The application is very simple. It's really more to make sure that um, you are aligned with the mission and vision of Encuentro. And what we're trying to do is bring together anybody that's got even a little itty tiny bit of creativity in them and wants to connect with other folks that have got a little bit of creativity in them. You don't have to be a podcaster. You don't have to have a, you know, have to be a graphic designer. You don't have to be well in it. You just have to have some sort of interest in creativity. And that's it, you know, and and know what this is about and know what Ocupación is about and feel like that speaks to you. So you are invited. The cost is $1,600 and that includes everything. That is four nights at an amazing luxury, like literally, literally like I'm so excited about this hotel. A luxurious hotel, they're one of the nicest and most recent openings in Puebla and is a health-centered hotel. So there's going to be wellness activities within the hotel. It's got a spa. We're going to do group yoga. We're going to do group meditation. We're going to do a group hike. We're going to go to Tepoztlan and do a group hike. We're going to go to Cholula and see the largest pyramid by volume in the world. We're going to eat amazing food because Puebla has incredible food. And all of that is covered in that $1,600 price or $1,400 per person if you're willing to share a room with another encuentro 
central participant. So I think it's a wonderful investment. You're going to get not only all that, but also three skill building workshops and the opportunity to connect with other folks from all over the country that are also joining us. We've got folks that have applied so far. We've got nonprofit leaders. We've got disability rights advocates. We've got artists, we've got writers, and we've got a few podcasters. So, so many amazing and incredible people have already signed up. And you can get all the information. You could go to tamarindopodcast.com forward slash encuentro, and all of that will be right there. You can also reach out to me directly. You can email me at brenda at tamarindopodcast.com if you have any questions whatsoever. So very excited about that. I love that. And I think this is really perfect for folks. Like if y'all have been itching, like dreaming of writing, of creating, and haven't been able to get get that off the ground, these kinds of events, I think, can be really fruitful for that. And really putting yourself in a different environment that's really supporting that, that creation can really make a difference. So if y'all have been sitting on something and wanting to create, wanting to write, these are the kinds of events that can really spark that. So y'all... You know, we want to see you sign up. We want to see you there. We want to see you create. Yes. Thank you, Anna Shayla. What else do we have in store? We've got another event coming up, y'all. Uh, specifically, if you're in the LA area, we want to invite you to join us for Cultivating Financial Liberation. It's an in-person event at the Pop Pop, an independent bookstore in Highland Park on October 5th. Join us for a workshop where we will uncover the money beliefs that are holding us back make talking about money fun and accessible and answer your financial questions around budgeting, credit and investing. And I know y'all money can be a scary topic. It can be that it can be hard for us to talk about these things. Um, we maybe feel shame or other emotions, but I promise y'all this will be fun. This will be fun. Our, our speaker who's, who's leading the workshop is so fun. And we really want to change the relationship that we have with money. So y'all, come through. I'll let Brenda speak a little bit more on it. Yes, 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 yes. Please come through. So we're going to speak to money coach Charlie Stover, a formerly undocumented digital nomad helping first-gen clients embody their millionaire selves. And what Charlie wants to do, and we're all about it, is we want all of you to perreo your way to first-gen prosperity. So there will be dancing, there will be twerking. <laughs> and you don't have to do any of this, but I, I assure you that Char Charlie will. Charlie will be twerking for <laughs> all of us. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so it's October 5th. Technically, it starts at six and it's at an amazing bookshop, bookshop as Anna Shayla just shared. So come in, come a little early, shop, maybe even get a drink next door. There's an adorable bar next door. But the program will officially start at 6.30. That gives you a big wiggle room to find parking, get settled and join us. It is at 5002 York Boulevard. That's where the Pop Hop is. And we are making it free. So you could choose to donate to, part to participate or you could just join for free and you can find that at the podcast forward slash events. All right. Anything else you'd like to say about our events? No, we're, we're excited. We're excited. We're exciting. <laughs> we're excited and we're exciting. Okay. Yes. So now we're going to shift to who we've got today. So today we have Constanza Eliana Chinea, a brown Latine Boricua decolonial educator, journalist, producer, speaker, activist, and mental wellness advocate. I love that, right? So many things. She is the co-host and the producer of the Stranger Fruit Show and Podcast and a freelance journalist with multiple media outlets, including LA Times, De Los. And this is a great conversation, Anna Shayla. I, I know that we, we take turns on who we get to interview, but we both really wanted to get at this topic and we're so excited to get to speak to Constanza about this. We are talking about white supremacy, 
what it means, how it shows up, and what we can do about it. So Anna Shayla, as we think about white supremacy, again, you've already called out that we're recording on September 15th. It's our time. It's nuestro tiempo. It's Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm curious about <laughs> thinking about white supremacy within that context of this special time of year where all kinds of um, firms, you know, corporations are thinking about our community. You know, what are your thoughts? How do you like think about those two things at this time? I think what sticks out to me and like what I, the work that I want to keep doing has been like recognizing how white supremacy was ingrained in a lot of the countries that, that we come from. Right. And who's been celebrated and who's been highlighted have often been the white, at least when we're from Mexico, the white Mexicans. Right. Or wherever country you're from. So for me, that's like what continues to be at the forefront is continuing to dismantle like how white supremacy has been and and racism and colorism has been ingrained in me and continuing to identify those those uh points of of learning and, and unlearning and continuing to to fight against um anti-black anti-indigenous um sentiment and um activities right so i think that's that's what stands out to me is continuing to do that work and, and doing that through through the work on the show and 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 what i am highlighting and, and what i'm how i'm spending my time and and energy so that's what stands out in me, like off off top how about you yeah i mean yes all of, all of that of course and i can appreciate the value of numbers the value of getting our community together because as a whole, we, we represent such a big part of who the fabric of who this country is. And there are many things that do connect us. And so for, for sometimes for just political clout and, and progress, I see the value of, of having a term like Latino or Hispanic or whatever you, what, yeah. you know, insert term here and grouping us. But I think it is important, as you just called out, is that as we do this, it also is at the same time, important to to be thoughtful about how we choose certain words. So for instance, we know it makes me think of the actress Anya Taylor-Joy, who is Latina technically. I mean, she is Latina. She's from Argentina. She speaks Spanish, all these things. And, and she herself has kind of said like, hey, calmate. When people say, oh, the first woman of color to be like nominated, she's like, listen, <laughs> I know that I'm not a woman of color. So I think right. that's, th that's the opportunity that we have is like, we can be excited that there's a, a Latina that's being very successful, but let's also <laughs> check when, when we're being grouped incorrectly. When we, yeah. like I, for example, I don't consider myself a person of color. I, I try very, I'm very thoughtful about not, not um, co-opting that word, even though I am, as you have said to me, Anna Shayla is like, you do, you have a little melanin. I know, I know. So you know, and I tan and I look great in the yeah. tan, but I'm also thoughtful that like, I don't, that doesn't feel like the term that I should be using. And so there's lots yeah. of us that, that, um, I think that's what it is. It's an exercise in being reflective and thoughtful in the way we we um, identify ourselves, while at the same time recognizing that this is an important time to celebrate uh, who, who the, the contributions of Latinos in this country and the progress we've made and the much distance still needed for us to be fully included in our society in this society. So. I I love Those that. I think that what a great way, a great way to, to capture that, Brenda. It's like a it's a yes, we can celebrate and we can be thoughtfully reflective and, and challenge ourselves. También. Yeah. And that's pretty much some of the themes that we talk about with Constanza Eliana Chinea. Let's hear our conversation with her now. 
Constanza Eliana Chinea, welcome to Tamarindo. It's such a joy to have you. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Well, before we dive in, I know you have many hats, as many of us do, but one of them is a decolonial educator. Can you walk us through what that means? Yeah. So um, basically, I focus on decolonization through mindset work, through historical work and references, and really just kind of taking a look at what our colonial history has been and how we can kind of go back to either indigenous ways of thinking and being um, or how we can exist in a colonial, you know, set and in colonial environment in ways that don't uh, uh, perpetuate the worst parts of colonization. Perfect. And I know that you got into this work after spending some time in the wellness industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about what were some of the problems that you confronted with the wellness industry that pushed you into this work today? Yeah, I think the wellness industry um, definitely got its own little call out in 2020 for um, just kind of perpetuating a lot of those kind of conspiracy theories around health and wellness, um, particularly when it came to COVID. And I think that was really for mainstream. That was just one little snippet of what the wellness industry kind of encompassed. I was in it for about 12 years, particularly in the yoga industry. And there were many amazing things about that industry, but there was also a lot of perpetuation of white supremacy, a lot of colonial standards, a lot of um, appropriation of culture. And it, over time, as I gained more uh, decolonial literacy and education, I myself just felt like I, you know, really was also perpetuating a lot of the same things that I was hoping not to do <laughs> in my own culture. And so I think the wellness industry, for a lot of reasons, um, really invites people to um, seek alternative health care. And that can be both a really good thing and a really bad thing. And I think that leads people down the, the spiritual side of things, which um, can be kind counter-religious, but in a lot of ways, very cultish as well. So it was just a lot. It was a lot for me to kind of wrap my head around after um, really understanding how white supremacy operates in the wellness industry and how colonization kind of permeates through. And I just felt like um, my skills and my education would be better suited outside of that industry. Yeah. And I know you mentioned white supremacy. This is definitely something that we mention a lot on this podcast and other places. And we're, we're often saying we're pushing against white supremacy, but I'd like to back up a little bit. And if you were to define this, you know, how would you define white supremacy? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And how do we, um, how do we, even though those of us that are well-meaning internalize white supremacy? Yeah, for sure. So really just, a. a very quick historical uh, breakdown of it. It really is just um, the standard of your Europeans, right? Like that standard of um, being highly educated, that standard of white skin being the best, being the most beautiful, blue eyes, blonde hair being the most beautiful. Um, the ideology of whiteness is something that has been widely studied by many academics and scholars and many books have been written on it. Um, but the the standard of whiteness has also um, been heavily um, experienced by black and brown people. And so there's both the lived experience and the tangible things that, um, you know, we have been able to 
study through academia that kind of put the two together, right? Like the very logical side of things and the experiential side of things. And so for me, white supremacy is, um, again, just that standard that white is best, white is right, um, and that we must, we, meaning uh, people of color, must aspire to be as close to whiteness as possible. And that is the supremacist side of things. And I think a lot of people have this idea that white supremacy means KKK. It's like the most extreme, the most violent side is what most people jump towards. And that is one example of what that is. Um, but white supremacy is also an ideology that that um, has been born out of Europe and through colonization to the West, it has really created a system um, and an industry, really, if you kind of take a look at how capitalism and white supremacy work together, it has created a system that um, has wreaked havoc on people of color, indigenous people, African descendants, um, Africans in general, and Asians. And so for me, it's really important to remember that white supremacy isn't just the most extreme that you can think of. It's also the way that we move, the way that we do business, the way that we relate to each other, the way that we raise our families, the, the way that fa the family structure even looks like, um, and also beauty standards. So it kind of has permeated um, all over. Um, my best example that I can give is a story that I did a couple of years ago um, through a workshop that um, the skin whitening cream industry is worth billions and billions of dollars. Um, the, the two main companies, the two major companies that create the creams are European owned and the countries that consume and have the widest, um, clientele, largest clientele of, uh, skin whitening creams are African countries and Asian countries. And so that kind of tells you right there that white supremacy is a mindset. It's definitely a mindset that has mostly affected black and brown people and indigenous people in general. And it's something that really needs to be battled on a daily basis. Yes. No, thank you for, for breaking that down for us. As you're answering this, I'm also considering the date that we're recording. This is the September 15th. It's kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month, Latina Heritage Month, whatever word you want to use, <laughs> Heritage Month. And um, I, I'd love for you to just for a moment kind of think about how do we as Latinos, Latine, Latinx, and all, all, all of us that might feel um, under that umbrella, you know, how can we be thoughtful about, about white supremacy as we think about ourselves as a group and all the challenges that come with uh, grouping us for a lot of the things that you just mentioned? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's in the word Hispanic, <laughs> if you just kind of take a look at that. Um, Hispaniola is something that was brought to us by way of Spain. And when I say us, I mean um, the Caribbean. Uh, I think a lot of people have a misconception, particularly once Columbus Day rolls around, that Columbus uh, discovered America. He did not. He actually ran into, by accident, um, he ran into Haiti or Haiti and uh, colonized it uh, viciously and violently. And so uh, he he uh, called the whole of the Caribbean Hispaniola. And that ha was adopted by the United States and Hispanic was a label that was created for all Spanish speaking Latin American countries, um, including the Caribbean, Central and South America. So that is white supremacy right there. Um, uh, white supremacy in Spain, 
was something that was very complicated because it was, uh, you know, Spain is is right above uh, Africa, um, the coast of Africa. And so there was a lot of migration in Spain, but the people who held the power, the people who colonized viciously, the people who colonized uh, by way of religious supremacy as well were white Spaniards. Um, and those were the people and the ideologies that were brought over to the Caribbean and the rest of Latin America once the rest of Latin America was colonized. So it we have to remember that that wasn't that long ago. If we take a look at the wider history of humanity, um, that has only been 500 years worth of our history. And so you can't really get rid of an ideology uh, overnight. Um, it takes a lot of time and it's done um through the work of indigenous and black activists and scholars. And that is something that has to be respected and something that has to be acknowledged. I think that when it comes to things like Hispanic Heritage Month or Latina Heritage Month, um, we have to remember that these terms are were created to lump us all together into one category. Um, there's a lot of mixture around like ethnicity and race and what does that mean and who are Hispanics and what do Hispanics do and you know how do they vote and how can we get them to vote the way that we want them to vote? Uh, how do we get them to purchase and buy into the movies that we want them to purchase into and, and buy into? Um, and so there's a lot of uh, white supremacists and capitalism kind of coinciding and working together um, at the same time. And so I think heritage is definitely something that we should celebrate. I think it's a beautiful thing. I also think that um, we have to remember that the type of heritage that white supremacy wants us to celebrate is not exactly what we should be celebrating. This is always such a great time to be reflective of that because it's complicated at the same time as we recognize that the grouping is a, is a factor of, of white supremacy and capitalism. We also know that our community is so forgotten. So if there is this, this, these couple of weeks <laughs> that people can at least for a moment learn something, if, if, if by accident, you know, it's a, it's a, that's the positive of it. But of course, I think it's really important to, as you just said, Let's be reflective, let's be thoughtful, and let's learn from BIPOC scholars and artists and, and people like you so that we could be more thoughtful as we think about these things. I think you kind of gave us some solutions of the ways that we could fight against white supremacy, like learning from BIPOC scholars. What are some other things? What are some other recommendations for folks that want to be thoughtful about how they identify white supremacy in the way that they've internalized it and how they could push back against it? Yeah, I think my biggest thing is always question everything. Where did that come from? Why do we you know, celebrate this thing? 
thing? Where does this word stem from or originate from? Where does this holiday, you know, originate from? I think really being curious about your own history, the things that you say on a daily basis, the things that seem traditional that might not necessarily be traditional <laughs> or might be very new as by way of tradition. Um, I think that's all a really, really great place to start. Um, a lot of holidays are really rooted in colonization. Um, so that's a, a, you know, a really great place to kind of observe and talk with your family members and talk with your friends about, well, have we ever actually looked into the, the true history of this and why this has happened and why this is a holiday that we celebrate? Why do we celebrate it in the way that we do? Um, one of the things that I started questioning as a Boricua in Puerto Rico, we celebrate um, the Three Magic Kings Day. And for me, that was definitely something that I never questioned as a kid. I was always so, so excited <laughs> for that day. Right. Because, three gifts, three gifts. Yeah. And it was <laughs> the very last holiday um, in the winter time. I mean, Puerto Rico doesn't have a winter, but you know, <laughs> it was <it's laughs> yeah, the last right, holiday right, right. of that season. And so it's a really, really exciting one, right? Especially for kids. And the way that the story is told to kids is very specific and it's very exciting. And I never questioned it. And it wasn't until I really started doing my uh, research and I started looking into the proper history of it. And I started to see, oh, so Christianity was actually brought to us by way of colonial Spain and um, how the story kind of got twisted and molded over time into the holiday that we know it today, into the traditions that we know it today. Um, I think it's just something to be really aware of. Um, I did a story on Christmas in general, Easter. That's another one. Um, and even Columbus Day. I think Columbus Day is probably the best place to start. So once you really start uh, questioning and getting curious about your own history, your lineage, um, I think that can kind of lead you down the rabbit hole. And it's, I think decolonization gets the a bad rap of being like, oh, anybody who is into decolonization is just like such a party pooper. Like they, <laughs> it's not fun to be around them and things like that. And sure, certainly sometimes people can like put a damper on things. Um, but I think it's also really important that in order to start breaking down the colonial structure and white supremacist structure, that it starts by educating yourself. And education is actually something that was weaponized against people of color, in particular indigenous and black African descendants, um, education was taken away from them because if you were educated, then you were knowledgeable. And if you were knowledgeable, you would resist and you would riot and you would rebel. And that was definitely something that they didn't want. And so once you choose to be ignorant, you're kind of giving into that colonial mindset already. So being curious, uh, asking a lot of questions, and then just uh, reading, uh, getting to know activists, getting to know indigenous activists in particular, um, getting into the land back movement, getting into anti-policing movements and things like that, that may not necessarily seem decolonial outright, but actually are. The abolitionist movement is very decolonial in nature um, and community driven. So once you really start taking a look at those types of um, community structures, then you really start going down the rabbit hole of like decolonizing pretty much everything. And how did it how did it, it happen for you? Like how did I mean? And you kind of talked a little bit about the wellness industry, but what are you know what were some of the places where you kind of started and identified? Oh, this is decolonization. <laughs> Hard word yeah. to say. And this is why I want to step into this. 
Yeah. So um, it actually happened by way of just my my growing up and my personal experience being from Puerto Rico and living there and having two native parents um, who were very educated on the colonization of Puerto Rico. Um, that was a constant conversation for us, uh, both growing up and also living in the United States. And so it did create a little bit of a duality for me because both I understood that colonization was a bad thing, but I was also living in the United States and assimilation was something that was to be expected of all Latinos in general. And so it was a very confusing duality. And so, of course, that's going to create a lot of confusion for a teenager trying to grow up in the United States. Um, But at the same time, I still had in the back of my head, because it was in constant conversation with family members, that colonization was a bad thing. And so once I started to kind of mature a little bit and start to see, you know what, there are things, there are gaps in my knowledge that I don't fully understand. Let me look into it. Uh, once I started getting to social justice activism as well and anti-racist movements, um, it it just seemed like a natural progression to learn about decolonization in a much deeper way. Um, so for me, it really started with activism. It started with uh, abolitionist movements and really starting to read more about abolition and decolonization. One book that is um, really, really helpful, written by a Latino, a Brazilian, um, is the pedagogy of the oppressed that, um, mm-hmm. the translation of it in English I read, um, but you can also read it in Spanish and, and Portuguese and, you know, a whole host of other languages that it has been translated into that one. It's pretty dense. It's a little bit hard to read if you don't have like a full knowledge of like the big, big words, but it is a really great introduction into oppressive systems and how to break down oppressive systems. And one of the biggest things that um, he talks about, the author talks about in that book is education and literacy and how important that is and how it has been used by the oppressor against the oppressed to keep them fighting within each other, fighting amongst each other, fighting against each other, um, and, you know, weaponized as a tool for poverty as well. And that is another colonial structure. Prior to colonization, our communities were not poor. Um, They were community-centered. They uh, were very much about, like, you know, what you can bring to the community when one person eats, everybody eats. And poverty is, is a structure of colonialism and and Europe. And so once you start to really um, understand what the author is saying in this book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, I think that um, really opened my eyes a lot to some of the things that I had already learned in the social justice movements. Um, but I think that's a great place to start. That's a really great book and it's written by a Latino. All right. Well, you've given us so much to learn and so much to continue our learning. And one couple more questions that I have for you. One is, I know that as you, obviously you're extremely knowledgeable as you've given this gift to us today. Where can folks get connected with more of your workshops? Yeah, so I'm actually um, currently going through a little bit of a rebrand. So I am going to clean up my courses and my workshops a little bit more, but you can still find them on my website, embodyinclusivity.com. 
And um, you can, uh, you know, start taking some of the anti-racist courses that I have up on there and some of the um, anti-oppression courses that I have. Uh, I am going to be including now that I've um, entered the journalism space. So I left the wellness industry to become a journalist because, I, again, I think it's so important for people to be educated. And I really wanted to do it in an ethical way. And so journalism has a lot of ethics behind it. And um, learning how to tell stories that are relatable to people and, and in particular the the gap in representation that media has, I really wanted to enter that space. So I've been a journalist for the last two years and really focusing on those stories. So you can um, find me now as an LA Times contributor and I will be doing a lot more things for the DELOS, um, which is the Latino initiative of the LA Times. Uh, it's brand new, but you can find me there. Some of my stories there um, that will be posted this month and um, on my social media at Eliana Chinea. Excellent. Thank you. And congratulations on all the great work in, in journalism. Amazing about Delos. I think it's it's phenomenal and it's so great. And I can't wait to start reading your work there as well. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on Tamarindo. If there's anything else you'd like our listeners to know, please, this is your pl open platform. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that we were finally able to do it. I know it's a long time coming, so I appreciate the invite. Um, yeah, I think if I could leave anybody with as something, it's, you know, really going back to our indigenous ways, I think it's probably um, something that we should aspire to. And, you know, uh, indigenous identity is something that shouldn't be taken lightly. I don't think everybody is indigenous. I'm not one of those people. I think that, you know, through uh, colonization has made that very complicated. However, I do think that we, there are indigenous leaders that we can follow and we can support, especially with the land back movement. And really learning about how to um, have that sort of community mindset where collaboration and support are like the really main tenets of that. So really look into your roots, look into your history, look into your lineages. Uh, most people have more than one um, and start looking into what were some of the indigenous mindsets there and not to appropriate them, but to learn from them and support the indigenous leaders that we currently have. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. With that, thank you so much. And we will read all your work shortly. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Amazing, just such a wealth of information and you all have some reading to do and some uh, websites to check out. So with that, Ana Sheila, it's time for our rapid fire closeout questions that we like to do. So would you please start with your matraca? My matraca, it's gonna be a little bit long. This could be three, Brenda, apologies in advance. I'm just playing, but um, my matraca in honor of the month, it's actually going to Mexico. And, and I've been, um, so, you know, we've, we've been on break for a bit. So I've been saving some of these, some of these are a little bit newer than others, but I have been loving all the beautiful progressive news that have been coming out of the country recently. I'm gonna highlight three really quickly. Number one, Wendy Guevara became the first trans woman to win a Mexican reality TV series. She was on a show called La Casa de los Famosos Mexico, which is similar for folks that aren't familiar. It's similar to the show Big Brother here in the US. And she was selected, so meaning fans voted for her, and she was the winner with 18.2 million fan votes. That's how popular this show is. And to see her win this show, I think it's really a really beautiful thing for Mexico. I've seen her, she's dynamic, she, she deserved it. So it, it's really beautiful to see that. So number one, 
Number two, Mexico will have a woman president. Both the leading candidates selected by their parties, by the two leading parties, are Claudia Scheinbaum and Xochitl Galvez. So we will have a woman president, and that's just amazing, period, right? Absolutely. Um, and then number three, um, Mexico's Supreme Court decriminalized abortion in the whole country. Um, and I think that's just so beautiful to see. And and, it, and it, I think it's very um, inspiring and needed, especially with what we're seeing in the U.S., to see Mexico advance in, in these ways. So it, it, that's been giving me a lot of joy to see that happening. Yes, I love it. I love it. It makes me think of the, the little meme. Does that make me better than you? It does. It does. Mexico's it does. better than us. It does. <laughs> I love it. What, what about you, Brenda? I know you um, co-sign all these también, but what, what else you got? Yes, I want to give my matraca to a podcast called Que Me Cuentas Podcast with Jaime Mallorquin and Yesenia Chavez. It is a, a beautiful podcast. It makes me think. So I, one surprise that y'all will have later on is that Anna Shayla and I got to guest host an episode of Risk, which is one of our favorite storytelling podcasts. And here is another storytelling podcast that I want to recommend. It's called Que Me Cuentas. It is features Latine storytellers. And I love it. I mean, all the stories that I've heard on the podcast have been really engaging, really wonderful. And then I had an opportunity to go to a live event and just see the, the action live and in the flesh. So I just want to say matraca to Que Me Cuentas podcast and to all the, the folks involved, just keep doing it. It's great. Keep it going. Love that. Okay. What about basura, Brenda? What are you putting in la basura this week? Um, this is silly, but truly, um, I, I, you know, I know we're already, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're already like three years out of this pandemic. It feels like just yesterday. And so there are some more in-person events, but I swear to God, like the, 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 like what I have to calculate is like, is it 10 minutes from my house? Can I take the Metro? Is it worth me putting on makeup on? Is it worth me putting a bra on? Do I have to fucking brush my hair? If all of those things, like if it's yes to all those and it's like not like if one of them is like more like if like I have to be inconvenienced in any one of those ways, it's basura. <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going. So basura to any event that is not like super convenient for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're just being intentional. Your time is precious. Your presence is precious. So I, I get that. And speaking of Brenda, of like deciding what to do, I'm actually curious and we'll give and I'm asking you this. And we'll give a shout out to this event. Um, are you going to Armando Ibanez, the creator of Andaki Tales birthday party tonight? Yes. OK, he's worth it. OK, first of all, it's close to my house. He's amazing. I already put makeup on because I'm on here on this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're just going to keep you're going to keep right. Are you going to maybe put a little powder to like fresh, freshen it up for yeah. tonight? Well, you know, I have very dry skin, so I can't do powder. This right here that already looks powdered AF is not. That's your, it's just my that's skin. your skin. It's just my skin looking <laughs> well, like a looks freaking great. lagartija. But yeah, I'm going. You going? I think I'm going to go. I'm, I'm on the fence, but I might show up. So I might see you tonight in the flesh. Um, so quick shout out. Uh, Y'all check out on DocuTales. It's on YouTube. It's the last season. It's a great series. I highly recommend it. Y'all check it out on DocuTales. We'll include a link in, in the notes, but it's his birthday, the creator's birthday today. So we might uh, celebrate feliz, there. Feliz yeah. cumpleaños. Great. What's your basura? My basura. So this is a basura question mark. So this has happened over the summer. Um, Speaking of Musica Regional, another group that's really been blowing up is called um, Yaritza y Su Esencia. 
I'm actually a really big fan. She's a, a young queer woman. So it's been really cool to see also just acceptance of more queer artists in this genre. Also with Grupo Firme, who also has a one of their members is, is, is queer. Um, so they recently were in Mexico City because they're on tour. They were on tour. And they were doing an interview and they're all really young, by the way. She's like 16. I think her cousin, the other folks are like very young. And they asked them like what they something about Mexico. Right. And so they about basically Mexico City sh- specifically yeah, about Mexico mm-hmm. City. And, and they and they shared that they didn't really that it was very loud, that in Washington it was more quiet because they're Mexican-American. So, so they, they live in Washington and um, that it was very loud and it was you know, quiet in Washington and that they didn't really like Mexican food or they didn't like they didn't spicy like the food. food. They didn't like the food. They didn't like yes. the food and they didn't like spicy and they didn't like spicy that like they liked, they didn't like, yeah, they couldn't handle it. So that's what they said in this interview in Mexico City. So there was very strong backlash because a lot of their audience is Mexican-American, but also a big portion of the audience is in Mexico. And so they were very beloved up until this point when they had this interview. So the backlash that they received was now questioning how Mexican they were, right, to be doing this music in this genre. Also, you started seeing some anti-Indigenous and, and racist statements about how, you know, they, they barely know Spanish or they're not really Mexican, pero tienen el nopal en la frente, like, que vergüenza, those, those kinds of comments. So, comments um, that I wanna, many of us know. hear when we go visit our family, <laughs> Sangrona in Mexico sometimes. Yes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, I'm curious, Brent, I, I want, I'm, I'll share what, kind of how I think, but I'm curious, if you heard about this and what, what are your thoughts on the Of course I heard about it. Whole, it was all, all over the situation. internet. Yes, it was, it was, it was all, all over, over the, the internet. internet. We're a little, a little late, but it's still relevant, the issues that popped up. Of course, I, I yeah, heard about it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? At the end of the day, they win because I had never heard of them before. And now I know who they are. So, so at the end yeah. of the day, like, they, I think they win. And, and um, the egg is in the face of all the ones that said stupid, like, things that make them sound racist, that make them sound um, classist, that make them sound, yeah. you know, just all the, the it, like, at the end, they win. They win. And so that's, those are the thoughts that I have. Yeah, I mean, I think that they could have done that. That wasn't their best interview. They could have been more more thoughtful. Um, and they're also young. And I think that ref- I think their experience reflects the experience of a lot of like Mexican-American teens. Right. That, you know, kind of feel in between. And, and there's some things they really enjoy about their culture, other things that feel a little bit more foreign. But I think it was really um, unfortunate to see like the w- the turn that that some of the backlash um, took. Yeah. Yes, so. absolutely. It, r- it raised some wonderful conversations about like, yeah. like, but, but I think ultimately I'm excited that now I know her, their, their name, you know, ultimately yeah, I'm, and, and that I I'm actually, I'm actually a big a fan and I, and I wanted to go see a concert. I wasn't able to see them, but I actually really love Yaritza's voice. Love that she's queer. But yeah, this is a little bit, we're a little bit late on this, but since we were, I, I wanted to bring it up because there are a lot of relevant themes that, you know, that we can absolutely. relate that we can relate to. Yeah. Um, okay. And then Brenda, what about your, your calma? What's been keeping you grounded the last well, few weeks? Well, um, along with the theme, we started off this morning of like just movement in the morning. My calma is always being able to teach at the Heartbeat House on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Also virtual. You could watch it live virtually. I have actually most of my students, I have a half, pretty much a half and half. Half of my students are on the big screen and they're doing it from home and my in-person students can see them. We all know each other. So it's 
really wonderful and fun. And also you could do it on demand. So you don't have to do it at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Anywhere in the world you could do it. It's about $12 a class. I get paid half of that. So I'm not making a whole lot of money, but I love it. I love doing it. So if you all can join, it's at heartbeathouse.net. You can sign up to be at my class. It's absolutely so much fun. And then I have my one-on-one personal training clients. That's been a lot of joy as well. So just hit me up, hit me up. So that's what's giving me some calma. What about you, Ana Sheila? What is keeping you grounded? Um, I think, I think it's, it's, um, I was reflecting on this and I think it's, um, the resilience that I've built up. So, you know, just knowing that I've done hard things when I'm doing things that kind of produce anxiety in me. So for example, next week, I have a really busy week. Like we have um, an event Tuesday and Wednesday, Brenda and I do. And then on Monday, I also have to go and drive out and like be on a, on a podcast. So it's like back to back things that require a lot of my energy um, and presence that in the past would have been really scary to be like, how am I going to do three things? I can't do it. I can't do it. And I think, and you know, I, I struggled a lot with anxiety and now what's really been helping me is sort of the, the little voice that reminds me, you have done it, you can do it. Here are the examples of how you've done it and you're going to do it. And, 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 and you know that it's going to be rewarding. You know that it's going to help you grow. So I think just the resilience and the voice, the practice, like the, the coach on, on, on my shoulder that used to be sort of that wasn't the best coach before and how, how I've, you know, developed my little coach on my shoulder and, and to really build me up and allow me to, to keep growing and, and doing scary, hard things. That's so. awesome. I imagine that coach, like literally like a real buff to the coach yeah. is buff and toning yeah, I mean, up yeah. and just bulking yeah, up. Yeah. Giving you they're that, like, come yes. on, you got this on a Sheila. You're you got boss. this. Like, uh, I, yeah, yeah I love it. Well, that is wonderful. And exactly as you described it, I think those words are very helpful for listeners as well that are confronting hard things. You have done it. There's examples of you doing it. And when you're done doing it, you feel amazing. So, so that's what that coach is saying. All right. Yes. Well, thank you with, with that y'all. You know, we love you and we need you to share this episode. We need you to write an Apple podcast review. They are so helpful. They're all so sweet. So please go to Apple Podcasts and write us a little love note. You can always contact us. Uh, everything you can has, that has to do with us, you can find it at tamarindopodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at tamarindopodcast. Follow us on X. Ugh. <laughs> you can follow us there. It's at Tamarindo Cast. Follow us on LinkedIn. We we get down on LinkedIn. <laughs> we also have a Facebook group. We're on all the things. So follow oh, us at, at all the places. With that, um, ponte un suéter. Bye, y'all. Abrazos, besos. Ciao. Ciao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Anishayla Victorino with production support from Josie Melendez and Augusto Martinez Delgado of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you like our show, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast or share an episode with a friend. Sonoro. 
cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099.